Hey, how are you? Hey, good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on. I know you probably really couldn't say no since you're my niece, but. (laughs) No, I'm excited. (laughs) Thanks for asking me. Yeah, I'm super excited to hear your story. I mean, I know a lot of it, but I know there's probably lots of it that I don't know too, but um, anyway, go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about you, about what you do, um, how long you've been married. Just kind of give us a little background. Sure. Okay. Um, Natalie Scott. Um, I have taught for the past 10 years in public school. I taught um, two years in Little Rock, and then I've taught the past eight years in Frisco ISD. And then um, I'm moving to private school this year, which um, I'm excited about, but also learning that private school is its own um, beast. It is very different. And so, very different. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'm trying to, you know, navigate that and figure, figure that out, but I think it's a really good change. So I'm excited about it. Um, well, so yeah, kind of... I've taught, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, it's gotta be a big change, not only from, uh, public to private, but in the middle of COVID. Yeah. So we can talk about that. I'm sure that's, it's a huge difference, but go ahead. Oh yeah, definitely with COVID, you know, um, <laughs> it's, it's a nightmare really, but it's just, we're just going to have to be flexible, <laughs> you know, and I think a lot of teachers have been technology resistant up until this point, but man, nothing will make you get on the technology bandwagon faster than going virtual. So, yeah. So um, when you have to, you're kind of pushing your back to the wall and you got to figure it out ASAP. Right. Right. It's not an option anymore. (laughs) Right. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited about private school. Um, just like I said, trying to figure it out. I'm so used to so many rules, you know, um, and they're just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. It's just a lot looser. So, um, that's scary and exciting to me. (laughs) Yeah. Scary and refreshing at the same time. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, so so, yeah. How long you and Blaine have been have been married. So you're married to a wonderful man named Blaine. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. We, um, so we met, oh my gosh, probably at the end of 2013 at, um, a big singles, um, program. What do you call that anyway? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the porch is like a single service during the week, but I mean, literally there's like, thousands and thousands of people there so like even if you go like I remember going with my girlfriends and like if we did not arrive together like you could not find them you know like that's how many people there were and so it's just kind of crazy that Blaine and I met at one of those um, services and um, just quickly like we realized I had grown up with his cousin and so we just had a lot in common um but so we dated for eight months and then we were engaged for four. We got married in March of 2015 and we've been married for five years now, which is crazy. Fast. Um, yeah. So, by so fast, so fast, um, which I'm like, man, in another five, it'll be 10. Like that's a decade. That's crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're, um, you know, always still learning how to do this marriage thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's Um, funny. 
you know, Uncle Reggie and I did, um, were part of a, a marriage group at church. I think actually the curriculum was written by Watermark originally, but um, okay. we were mentors uh, to a group of couples. And at the time, I guess okay. that was our going into our 30th year. But even after 30, 31 years now, you're still figuring it out. I mean, there, right. there's still things that I learn about Reg on a daily basis. I'm like, really? I didn't know that. Or um, yep. just how to navigate conflict and still things, you know, that you learn about each other. But so I yeah. only dated for eight months. So to me, um, or to you, does that seem like a short amount of time? I mean, was it just the right amount of time? Or what do, what do you, you know, think? We were both like already we were, I had just turned 28, like a month after we got married. So we were like 26, 27 by the time we met. And so I think we were just ready. You know, we were late enough in our twenties to where we weren't just dating to date. Right. Um, and so we were, you know, pretty serious at the time, I think. So, um, it's funny because, um, like I had had a kind of like a recent crisis of being at Watermark and because I was living so far away, I was just like, I can't, I can't make this work. And so I had visited some other churches and I remember sitting at a different church and just like crying because the Lord was like, this is not where you're supposed to be. Like you're supposed to be at Watermark. And I met Blaine like the next week and wow. it's like, okay, Lord. And he has a similar story about Blaine, you know, guys are just a hot mess. And so he like, <laughs> I seriously think like a month before we met, he was like, Oh yeah, I guess I should like think about, you know, dating, you know? And like, I do want to get married. Like all his friends are married, you know, he's like the only single guy. And so he like, had just started praying for a wife, like probably mm -hmm. two weeks before that we met. And so it's just like, really, you know, get in the game. But <laughs> Um, well, and when a lot so, of women, a lot of women um, and girls, I mean, you kind of grow up with the mentality of maybe it's just me. I mean, I very much just wanted to grow up and be a wife and a mom. And um, right. And I a lot of women have, you know, big aspirations with businesses. And I never did. I was never this one that was like, oh, I want to have this big career. Um, right. So, yeah, I can see what you're saying. Cause I definitely, I thought about it a lot. So I can't imagine a guy really going, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I guess I should think about that, but right. More power. Wake to up you, one right? day. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that must've been nice. Well, it sounds like, I mean, God definitely brought you together. And, and like you said, you had been at watermark and hadn't, I guess, felt like you were seeing options or meeting anybody or felt like it wasn't really where you needed to be and tried something else, but you know, God kind of pointed you back in a, in a different direction. Right. So you yeah. guys have been married now for five years and yeah. um, I kind of wanted to get into your adoption story. You guys just adopted sure. a little boy. Um, so, and he's just the cutest thing ever. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that and let you share kind of about what brought you to the adoption process and then kind of talk about yeah. what, what happened from there. Sure. Um, so I think the Lord, you know, brings everybody to adoption in a different way, you know, um, which is just how he uses us in general, like being his hands and his feet, like 
it just, it always looks different, you know, but the outcome is always the same that we're serving the Lord and loving other people, you know? Right. So for us, um, so before we got married, we, um, did a like premarital class called merge, which was just amazing. Um, and because it just really like sets you up for success in marriage or you're like, I don't want to marry this person, you know? Right. So, right. Um, right. but one of the questions was like, how do you feel about adoption? And so adoption was something that was always on my heart. Um, and Blaine's Blaine's as well. So our answer to that question, when we went through that class was yes, like we want to adopt, like maybe after we have a few bio kids, like we'll, we'll circle back to that. I have, a, I've grown up with several really good friends that were adopted um, and then been on several miss- mission trips. And so that just kind of formed my perspective of the need for adoption um, right. and my heart for that. So um, anyways, fast forward probably a year into our marriage. And again, I feel like because we got married a little bit later in life, like the need and feeling to like, okay, we need to start a family started earlier for us, I feel like than most couples. Um, so probably about a year into our marriage, we started trying to start a family and like really quickly it was like, okay, something's wrong and um, started. We're actually really lucky because we got to go a lot of times an infertility doctor won't even see you for a year. Um, and yeah, which is just excruciating, but we were able to get it. It would take that long. Yeah. If you have not just been trying to get pregnant naturally, at least for a year, they're like, you just need to wait. So, um, because I was having some other symptoms, we were able to get in a lot sooner, which was a blessing. Um, but we went the whole route and did, you know, lots of medicine and, um, we did three IUIs ish that failed. Um, and we basically got to a point a year into treatment where our doctor was like, Hey, this isn't really making sense. Like financially, like you're, it's just not working. We really feel like you need to do IVF. And so at that point we're like, okay, you know, wasn't a surprise. We kind of knew this was where it was headed. Um, but so we started kind of doing some research on IVF and like talking to other people and our, our church actually has like a statement on it. And so um, we came up with a plan about if we were going to do it, like how we would do it ethically. Yeah. Um, so, because... so before you go on, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Go yeah. back and, and kind of explain what's the IU, what you said, IUI, and then the difference between the first one and the second one, the IUI and the I, IVF. Sure. So an IUI is basically natural okay. in that, um, Basically, they're going to pump you full of medicine to help you ovulate, and then they're going to artificially inseminate you Okay. At, while you ovulate in okay. hopes that, you know, you um, get pregnant and the right. egg is fertilized. Right. And so um, after, and most doctors will probably let you do, you know, honestly, you can talk them into whatever you want. But after three, ours was like, yeah, it's not really working. So... IVF then is in a Petri dish. And so they're going to take 
your eggs and the semen and they're going to put them together in a petri dish and let it fertilize and then if it fertilizes you know they're going to put it back in your uterus and then wait and see if it attaches so okay um gotcha one is IUIs are um they're still expensive but they're not near as expensive as IVF so um so yeah we got to a point where we were like okay if if we do IVF like this is how we would want to do it um and so talked to our doctor about that because it's not the normal way (laughs) she would do it um and so she agreed that she would do it the way we wanted to um but we were like you know we don't have the money right now and I was just at a place where I was like, man, I don't feel like my faith can like take this. (laughs) If we pay $20,000 and we go through IVF and at the end of it, I still have a baby. Like I'm pretty sure my, I'm going to be in a crisis of faith at that point. (laughs) So right now we're going to have to say no, because I can't answer that question. Um, And so we just were like, Hey, we'll be back when we're ready to do this. Um, well, what great, okay. well, what great insight, you know, to, to anticipate that, you know, not necessarily just a, from the money right. perspective, but that you're like, I, I don't know that I want to put myself in a position of doubting God and his plan. And if I'm not sure right. I have a doubt about it, I'm just going to push pause and, you know, so we're going to, we're going to wait and see what happens from there. Yeah. So that that's some great insight and discernment on your part. Well, we didn't get there on our own for sure. Um, I had gone through an infertility ministry called Shiloh, um, and just gained a lot of insight from the other ladies in that class. And I think what's important is that when you're in times like that, you just, you feel like your doctor is the one who should be giving you all that wisdom. And unfortunately, especially in our case, your, your doctor is just going to keep saying, keep trying, you know, and I had a friend in that ministry who was in a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And I was like, that would be us if we don't draw a line somewhere, you know? Right. right. And so just having other women around us to like walk through that with, and just make sure that like, we weren't just getting wrapped up in the emotion of it and, and relying on our doctor to tell us when we were going to stop because that was never going to happen, you know? Right. So, Right. So from the expense of, you know, the doctor's treatment path and and how to get to that point of becoming pregnant, you know, being so expensive, how did that translate? Because I know the adoption was, you know, expensive too. And you guys did a lot of fundraising um, on that end. So what brought you to, you know, when did you get to, okay, we think we really want to adopt and kind of weigh those two expenses per se, for lack of a better, I mean, you hate to look at it as an expense, but I mean, it was, it's just the reality of it. Right. Um, for sure. How did y'all navigate that? And I mean, you guys had some amazing fundraising ideas, at least from my perspective, they, they seemed original and interesting and obviously yeah. effective. So talk to um, me a little bit. So, and it's funny because like throughout our infertility journey, like whenever people would be like, Oh, you should just adopt. Like that made me crazy because I was like, it's, it's not the same. It's not a band aid, and it's not just, 
it, it's not the same, you know, and it, it just made me crazy. And so it's so funny now, um, just looking back because, and, and I do think that like, as you're going through infertility, like it is your responsibility to like grieve through that, you know, because I don't think that's the right mindset in which to adopt. But um, anyway, so we, we took a year off treatment um, and that was just so good for, you know, my heart to be off of, I mean, that medicine, literally Blaine had to sign a piece of paper saying he understood that I was going to be crazy on this medicine. Oh my God. I remember <laughs> so, you telling me that. And I thought, oh my gosh, it, you must've just been, I was how did it affect out of you? Mind. Yeah, it was, I mean, like I, I would be in church just like pouring sweat. Like my hormones were just like out of control, mood swings. Um, my face got like super dry and so anyways, I was super glad to have time off of that, you know? And yeah. so while we were on our like year break, um, I have a friend who has, um, gosh, probably three or four adopted kiddos from all over the world. And she had posted a picture on Facebook of all things. I was just a picture of a kiddo in an orphanage in China. And she was like, you know, do I know anybody who would cross the ocean to you know, love on this child, you know, mm. uh, and I read the story about how this little kid was found in a field. And I, like, I knew that was a reality, you know, that's not the first time I've heard that, but for some reason, it just struck me that day. Like, this is not okay. You know? Yeah. And like, I was also reading a really great book by Chelsea Patterson called, um, longing for motherhood. And so it's about this girl who she's adopted, I think from the Ukraine, but when she's 18, she finds out that she doesn't have a uterus. Um, and so just, you know, as a freshman in college, figuring out what that meant and dealing with that. And so in her book, she has a line where she talks about like, it's not important that our children look like us. It's important that they look like the Lord. And I just read that and I was like, okay, Lord, like, this is it. Like, I've been spending all this time and money on me. And like, it, it just became very selfish for me at that point. And I know that that's not everybody's story and that's not how God uses infertility for everyone. And, you know, IVF, it's, it's not everybody's story. But for me, I just was like, man, spending $20,000 on IVF is a chance, right? It was like, it's like a, it's a huge risk, right? Whether I have a baby at the end of that. Whereas there are kids right now who do not have homes. Right. And so it's funny because um, I texted my community group girls and I was like, I'm not happy about this, but I feel like the Lord's changing <laughs> my heart towards adoption. <laughs> they were like, okay. And so <laughs> it's funny because we went on vacation that summer and we were like, we're not going to talk about infertility or adoption. And we talked about adoption like the whole time. And so, <laughs> um, so yeah, we just, um, you know, I, we looked at our life and our house and we had two extra bedrooms that were empty, you know, and we're like, what are, what are we doing with that? You know? Um, and so we took a intro to adoption class and, um, we were for a while trying to decide between China and South Korea and, um, just a lot of different factors there, but ended up going with Korea and, um, yeah, started, we officially started, I guess it was like October, 
2018. And so so start to finish from the time you started to the time you brought Bo home was just under two years. So it technically, let's see. I think it was like 14 months. Um, We actually moved agencies. And so with the agency we ended up being with, it was pretty close to a year. It was like 13 months. So that's amazing. And at the time they were saying two years. And part of the reason we moved agencies is because this other agency was saying a year and a half. And then for us to still bring him home under that time, I mean, is just crazy. So, so when you talk about, um, like the pre, like the premarital class that you took and the pre-adoption class and the agencies and how did you yeah. get connected with these different groups? Cause I feel like that's gotta be, you know, emotions and physical part is all, that's plenty, right? That's a huge amount of, of stress right. and research and, and, right. uh, all of that, but also the resources to figure all of this out. How did you guys go about um, finding these resources other than just Google, you know? Yeah. Um, So, man, I am not like a data or research person. Like that is not my MO. (laughs) And so, uh, but I'm really good at like deploying the people I know. And so, um, number one, our church just has amazing resources. Um, and so that intro to foster care and adoption class was a great way to begin that research. Um, but then we just, I I mean, we just use the people around us who already had adopted kiddos, which that network at the time was pretty small. Um, but because we were set on Asia, um, we, we didn't have as many choices as you would think. (laughs) So like at the time there was only, I want to say seven international countries that were even open. And then we already knew Asia was kind of what we wanted. And so the, the, sorry, the agency we ended up using is the agency that my best friend who's adopted from Korea, like that's who she was adopted through actually. And so um, it's actually the closest one to us in Tulsa. And so, Um, we did have a lot of decisions and I know a lot of people, you know, are like, especially if you do domestic adoption, I feel like there's way more options, but for us internationally, it was less options. And so we just kind of went with what the people around us had done. Right. So, so when you looked at, um, the different ways that you were going to, cause obviously it was still expensive, (laughs) Um, right to do and um, how did you go about trying to you know obviously God did a huge work in in providing um, the funding and at the different stages that you were able to meet but like talk about some of that like if so if somebody's listening and is thinking about adoption just some of the things that you did uh, for fundraising um, along the way sure um, and you know, it's funny because I remember sitting in that, um, intro to adoption class. And at the time we were trying to decide between China and Korea and it, China was going to be 30 grand and Korea was going to be 50 grand. And I remember telling someone like, it doesn't really matter because we have no money. So I don't know where <laughs> 30, 50. God's gonna get, 
yeah, <laughs> like or 50, whatever, like we have none. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, um, once we like started and we were committed, you know, you're like, okay, we just have to do this. And so there is really an amazing adoption community out there. Um, and so every single fundraiser we did, like, I don't think any of those were our ideas. Like they were all things that um, on a Facebook group I was a part of, or a friend I made, it was, it was their ideas that people shared with us. Um, right. And I have in turn shared with other people since then, you know, I, I kept a pretty good list. Um, and I just was kind of in this mindset that was like, we're just going to do a fundraiser and then we're going to do another one. And then we're yeah. going to, you know, we're just going to keep doing this until we have enough money. And so right. it kind of, it was very daunting um, because that's a long way to go from zero to 50 grand. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, it also kind of alleviated like, oh, this fundraiser didn't create X amount. I was like, yeah, but it's okay because we're just going to keep going. So do another one. Um, right. And I mean, really like the Lord did so bless us with each fundraiser. Um, I mean, and we had people offer to do fundraisers for us. One of our friends like put on a poker night. Um, and then lots of my friends that have like side hustles, like all did, you know, us born books or roading in fields, you know, whatever they were doing, they kind of did little fundraisers for us. Um, but oh, yeah, it yeah. Seemed like, didn't somebody do a, um, a Christmas picture one? Like they, somebody oh, yeah. did something about pictures where they took pictures for upcoming holidays so they could do cards and then, um, yeah, raise money for you that way. Well, what do you think was the hardest or the most unexpected thing in the whole process? And then I want to hear a little bit about, um, Bo's homecoming. Yeah. Oh, the heart. I mean, the hardest thing is like just having this fee schedule, right. And knowing like, Hey, on this day, this money is due. Yeah. And so what are we going to do? You know, and I think that, um, I think, gosh, I'm trying to remember who said this now. Um, I don't know if you know who Melanie Schenkel is, but Mm-mm. I was listening to a podcast with her. Um, and she wrote a book called on the bright side, but she's talking about how, like when the Israelites are coming out of Egypt and they see the Red Sea, like, why did they have to get all the way up to it before it? God's like, okay, I'll split it in two for you to walk through. And she's like, the amount of faith required is different than if he had split the sea while you're way back, you know, miles away and you can see it's not a problem. And so I feel like that is really, um, really the same thing with our, our fundraising is like the Lord let us get pretty close to those deadlines. Um, but then he, I mean, always provided like we, we had all the money that we needed for every deadline. Um, and I, I never wanted that. Like I just wanted the, I wanted to have all the money up front, you know, so I just didn't have to worry about it, but yeah, you know, it grew my faith so much more to have to trust him all the way up into, you know, the end, um, the day before or the week before. Um, and I think one of the most awesome things was probably, so we started in October ish and by July we had pretty much 
I mean, I didn't have any more plans. Like I didn't know what else to do. And we still needed, gosh, at least probably 15. I'm not really sure how much we needed left at that point. But um, we had a family from church, like come over and like want to hear our story. And um, they were like, you know, we'd really just like to cover the rest of your expenses. And it was like, oh my gosh, like that's only God, you know, right. Um, right. Only God can do that. And so that was just a huge blessing and something that they had been praying about. And so it was a, a blessing for them as well. But um, so, yeah, we that, were able that, to. It's that faith component, like you said, of right following God at just up to the brink. I have a friend that kind of relates it in a similar way that um, we were talking years ago and it's never left me. She um, was just talking about crossroads of decisions and things uh, that come up in the yeah. course of our life that we, you know, I, I'm one that will worry about things and I, I like to see the big picture and I like to know exactly what's going to happen ahead of me. And I want to know what to expect when I come up to a situation and, yeah. uh, she would just say, you know, sometimes it's just not like that. She's like, it's almost like the, you're in a part of this maze as part of your walk with God. And he wants you to walk down this hall and say, okay, go down this hall, but I'm not going to tell you whether I want you to go left or right. I just want you to walk down the hall. Yeah. And then when you get where I've asked you to go, then I'll tell you, because I think, especially knowing my personality and, um, you know, I can tend to be anxious about things a lot that it's sometimes I think if we see the big picture, um, we're like, yeah, no, thanks. I'm, I'm out. Um, so it's yeah. that little step-by-step, step, just follow me to the edge of the water, like you said, and then um, I'm going to take care of it. And it's that faith to know that because he is who he says he is, and he is going to be with us, like you said, he's going to be with us, that we can, right. even though it's hard sometimes, but have the faith because of uh, his past faithfulness to us. Um, right. So we know what he's done in the past. And yet sometimes we still like the Israelites forget, oh yeah, he just did this, but I already forgotten built yeah. an altar to Baal or whatever. Um, yeah. So will you tell me a little bit about bringing Bo home? Yeah. Um, I was going to say. That whole trip and everything had to be. Oh yeah. It was, back and it forth was crazy. And, um, and one, one thing you just said about making an altar was like, that's something that I actually did is I like went on a walk around my neighborhood. Like we were just, we had met. Okay. So another thing is like, when we went through this process, we went through it with friends, with two people that we met, we were in process with together, which was such a blessing. Um, however, you have to be really careful that you're not comparing, right. When you're walking, sure. like what my heart always wants is like someone else who's in the same thing as me that just get it, you know, and then God gives me that. And then I'm like, Oh no, now I'm comparing. And so anyways, we had been in a situation where this other couple was, we had missed a deadline. And so now they were ahead of us, but we didn't, it was just the Korean government. Like we didn't do anything. And so I was just like wrecked. Like, why are they moving ahead? And we're not moving. Like we're stuck in this stage. And so like I had walked around my neighborhood and like made an altar of all these rocks and wrote everything in Sharpie on these rocks that God had done for us in our adoption process. And it just like sat on our back porch <laughs> until Bo came home and kicked it over. So I was like, Oh, <laughs> this, is, this is like, you know, full circle now. Like, okay. Awesome. Oh, God. Sweet boy. Oh. But yeah, it was a You're good. Just the cutest. 
he is he's a hot mess but oh he's okay, so, so sweet bringing him home um so we have to travel twice you have to go to court and then about a month later you go back to korea to take custody right um and so you know as first time parents like we have literally no idea what we're doing like <laughs> we're our our agency's like you need to pack a sleeve of diapers and blaine's like what's a sleeve I was like, oh my How gosh. much is that? Yeah. Like we have no idea what we're doing. So the first trip was great. You know, I mean, we got two play dates basically with him and then we went to court. And so the first trip was just kind of touristy. We tried to like soak in as much and do as much as we could. Um, it was, it was great. Um, and the second trip, you know, is like, okay, this is where it's about to go down. <laughs> and so, um, it was great again. Um, but you know, just taking a child away from their foster parents, I mean, that's trauma, you know, um, they've already been through trauma and then this trauma. So, um, you just don't know how they're going to grieve, you know? And then also like, I've only ever seen this kiddo in a picture, you know? Um, and, and so, and, we've been sending stuff. And so he kind of knows who we are, you know, like his foster parents have been saying, this is your mom and dad. They're going to come and they're going to take you on a plane and you're going to go home, you know? And so he was very wary of us in our play dates before custody. I think he is pretty smart. And so he was like, yeah, I'm not real sure about you guys, you know? And remind Um, me, how old was Bo when you actually on his gotcha day? Um, he was 20 months. Okay. So he'd been with the same foster care family that whole time for, um, for a year. He had been with them for a year. Well, okay. I mean, actually a little bit over a year. So yeah, okay. he is very attached to Oma. Like you could just like in our play dates, he just like sat in her lap the whole time and just sure. stared at us. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I don't know you back up. <laughs> right. Yes. Not, not super hip about us um so you know custody happened and um we also had another couple actually take custody later that day and they stayed at the same hotel and um so that was just another like super sweet blessing is that we had some people we knew that actually live like outside of Granbury um just with us, you know, like experienced parents, (laughs) you know? And so they, um, we got to like do lots of stuff with them on that trip, which, which helped, but, um, yeah, he definitely grieved and it was, it was super hard and he was just very Velcro baby. Um, I think like a lot of the way he grieved was just, um, sleep, um, which was unexpected and, um, we also co-slept while we were there, which was new for us. Um, I remember seeing pictures of him like oh, on the bed, touching both of you at the same time. Like, I just want to make sure you're both here yes. hands on your face. <laughs> yes. Or he'd be like sitting on your head. You're just like, oh, we're never going to sleep again for the rest of our life. So, <laughs> yeah, well, welcome to motherhood. So yeah, that's, basically. that's exactly the truth. That was true. So. Um, so then so you yeah. get home, you get home and I had never yeah. heard the, the term cocooning before, which yeah. leading into this 
this was timing wise, you were kind of ending this cocooning slash you were also on maternity leave from school right. and then kind of COVID happened. So what did all of that look like? Right. Yeah. Crazy. Um, and cocooning and kind of explain, you know, what cocooning actually means. Sure. So cocooning is um, a more recent adoption um, strategy, basically, where when you bring a child home, you kind of try and make their world as small as possible. And so you're not leaving the house. You are not like introducing a whole bunch of new people. Um, really, it's a just a big effort to create attachment. Um, and so, yeah, we had, you know, brought brought him home and just tried to stay home and create routines and trust and stability, um, which was super hard for our families because they're like, you know, all they want to do is just come over and live on him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, um, that was hard and, and they did come over and, um, he, you know, it was, it was okay. We, we found a balance to both and cocooning looks different for everybody. For us, it was like, you know, a pretty like hardcore maybe month. And then we started to ease up, but then yeah, COVID happened. And so instead of going back to work in April, um, I stayed home and taught from the house. So, and, you know, have done that basically since January. Um, so it was just such a blessing, honestly, because um, I really did not want to put Bo in daycare. Um, right. I just, you know, a lot of times kiddos who have been in an institution, daycare feels like that again. And sure. I just felt, man, that's going to cause regression with attachment and, Um, And part of me was like, man, we missed out on like the first two years of his life. Like, I don't want to like to share any more of my time with him, you know? Right. Right. So just like really prayed about what we were going to do and um, kind of honestly didn't have a great plan. (laughs) And so, um, which is not my personality at all. Um, But then the Lord. You did though, you at at times, because I know you would tell me that you were checking into different daycares and looking around, but then something happened and you couldn't go. And then when the COVID started, so it's like you had this plan, but you know, maybe there's a little interference along the way, which, you know, worked out because God knew ahead of time, you weren't really going to need it. Um, Mm -hmm. and that, you know, your plans in terms of your job and everything was going to change in the fall, but, um, Right. How has the language, um, how's the language been? I know you've, you know, obviously with his age, it's not like he was going to be extremely verbal, um, once he got here, but I mean, from what I see as an outsider, he's done so well. I mean, do you think being a teacher has helped you in that manner in terms of like, I know he knows the members of his family and, you know, the last time we were over there, he was pointing and you were to asking him and he knows like what letter of his name is what and stuff. But Mm -hmm. um, I mean, from a verbal perspective and what he's learning, I mean, do you think it's been easier as far as what you're able to teach him because you see that underlying cognitive awareness and, and, just where he is, even though there's a language barrier. Yeah. 
so it's funny. We would always get, we get reports every couple of months, you know, from the agency and they, you know, translated from Korean to English. Like sometimes you miss things and things are worded strange, but like all of his stuff was always like, he's a really smart one. Yeah. (laughs) We were like, okay, you know, like, I don't know what that means. And doesn't everybody kind of feel like that, you know, but, um, like really, and, and I think some of it is just his age, but, um, so he wasn't speaking. I mean, I think the last update we got before custody was like, he had four words in Korean. Um, but I, I mean, really, I feel like since we brought him home, like he has always understood what we're saying. Sure. He just, I mean, I don't, it's, it's incredible, but like his language has just been, I mean, he picked up sign language. I mean, you just show him the sign like two times and then he would do it next, you know, and it's like, whoa, that's, you know, so more and please. Um, and just, and also we, um, I tried to use Korean for, you know, a lot of, um, uh, instructional things that would right. come up during the day. So like, Oh, we're going to take a bath or we're going to brush our teeth. I had sticky notes all over our house of those words in Korean, because then he was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I do want to go brush my teeth. I know what that means. You know? Yeah. And so that well, was super helpful. And I thought, I thought it was great because I remember seeing you put a picture up one day of you had the word it's a, you had, it's okay. Or something like that in the bedroom by the light. It, it was more mm-hmm. from what I felt like it, it, it was, um, what was it, what am I trying to say? It was for you to be able to communicate with him in his, exactly. on his terms, to be able to say, Hey, it's okay in Korean so mm-hmm. that you could communicate like, Hey, we're going to, I'm right here. It's okay. Or we're going to take a bath. But, um, right. so I thought on, on that, that that was really good because it's not like you were going to remember all those words unless you were in that spot. Right. You know, Oh, bath, right. what is bath? So yeah. I thought that was, that was really genius to, to kind of prompt yourself to be able to say those things for his benefit. Um, yeah, but yeah, it uh, was, it was really helpful just, um, and I just, you know, the words that I said a lot, like hot, like, Oh, this is hot. Don't touch it. You know, which of course hot is like 17 letters long. It's like the longest word you could even say in Korean. I feel like, <laughs> but you know, that was when we needed to learn quickly, but, um, right. but yeah, I mean, he has, I mean, right now he knows, I mean, he probably, I don't even know. I counted at our pediatrician appointments a couple months ago that he had 40 words, but it's yeah. definitely more. And he's lately like started putting two words together or he'll, he started adding like that S on the end. Like this is mama's cat, sure. you know? Um, yeah. He's just, he's talking so much more and he won't do it in a new setting and he's not going to talk to people he doesn't know, but you know, when it's just us at home, yeah, he's all about talking about cars and wheels and counting and he loves letters. I think he knows probably most of his letters. So that might be the teacher part. (laughs) Well, yeah, but, I was going to say, you know, a lot of two year olds, I mean, don't know that, right? I mean, they don't have to know that for a while. So, I mean, he's clearly, right. um, you know, he's formed a bond, obviously, pretty quickly yeah. with y'all and having the extended cocooning, you know, because of COVID. Thank you, COVID. Yeah, um, 
been able to absorb a lot. Um, but more than anything, he knows that he's comfortable, loves y'all. He knows you're going to take care of him and that he's safe, which is, you know, just added to obviously what he's willing to be exposed to, uh, and absorb. So if you were going to share with somebody that was considering adoption, um, what would you say? I mean, I think it's kind of obvious what you would say, but what do you, what do you think would be something important to say to somebody that might be thinking about adopting? Yeah. Um, you know, I think the thing with adoption is like, it's so unnatural, you know, you do not, when you're pregnant and you're starting a family, you don't get to pick the medical needs of your child. You don't get to, you don't look at a picture of your child on a screen for the first time. Like that is, it's, it's so unnatural and it's filled with decisions. Um, but I think that like, kind of like you were talking about and like God called Abraham, like, get up and go. Like I'm I have a place for you and I'll let you know right. when you get there. Like, that's kind of it. Like if you feel like God's calling you, like you don't have to have all the other decisions figured out. You know, you don't have to have the money figured out. Like all God wants from you is a yes, you know, and then, yeah. um, he's going to equip you, um, to, to do those things. And I think the verse that I really like clung to was Ephesians three twenty, which talks about how he's capable of doing immeasurably more than what we can imagine. And so like back at our journey, like that's just what I see is like all the ways God provided and like Bo himself, you know, I mean, all of it is just way more than my mind could have conceived when we first filled out the little, Oh yes, we'd like to adopt on the website, you know, like, yes, God can just take your small little yes and like turn it into life-changing, you know? And so to not be scared of it and just um, really like give God the chance to prove himself to you and to give him an avenue to um, like show his power and his glory. And I think that that was one of my biggest prayers throughout this process was we have lots of family that's not Christian. And so we just prayed like, man, Lord, these people have a front seat to what you're doing through our adoption. Like, please don't let them miss it. You know, right, like, right. you just it as a witness and a testimony to those around us. And so, um, obviously, you know, there are some people who say adoption's not for everybody but I'm like, not that person. Like, I really do think it is for everybody because I think that, um, kids need homes and Mm -hmm. I'm sure in what scenario (laughs) that doesn't apply to everyone, you know? And so I, I think that you have to give it to the Lord and pray about it. And, you know, you and your spouse need to definitely be on the same page. Um, but even the Lord can take, you know, a spouse who's not ready to adopt and move them towards adoption. So, right. Um, so yeah, just you know, say yes. your, uh, your verse, uh, made me think of, of one that, uh, has come up with me a lot over the last couple of years is just that, um, and I honestly, I can't even tell you where it is. It's in the old Testament somewhere. Um, but it talks about, um, see, I'm doing a new thing. I will bring rivers in a desert and just, um, that mindset of, you know, relying on the Lord to do something that is unexpected that only he can do in the middle of 
you know, what seems like, yeah, I can't do this. I don't have the money. Um, yeah. But the other thing it also made me think when you said that about, you know, there's so many kids that need adopting, you know, your uncle Reggie's been working with a um, group here in, in McKinney that um, provides housing for kids that aged out of foster care that were never adopted. Yeah. Um, and they're, so they're, most of the kids that are in there are 18, 19, and they've got three houses, wow. but it's just, it's changed our heart a lot about the kids that are older that, you know, live wow. all those years with nobody. Um, yep. and, uh, what the work that they're doing, in fact, he's over there right now painting, um, again, because they've got an addition they're adding for some girls, but they've got a, a home, uh, two across the street, mm. one of them houses girls that are pregnant. And then they've just mm. gotten another house that is for, um, boys that have aged out of foster care. So I've got two girls houses and one boys, but, um, you know, wow. it, it is, it's so all around you that you don't even realize it until you get in the middle of it. And so I think you're right yeah. in that that's something that we just, you know, if it's not, it's like with anything, you know, you, um, yeah. not comparing adoption to a car, but it, it, when you, you know, when you go looking for a car and you don't realize that there are a million other white Nissans on the road, just because you went to look, look at a white Nissan, but you don't know it until mm -hmm. you're invested in it. Right. And once you get exposed to whatever it is, adoption, foster care, whatever, um, right. then you realize, wow, my, how maybe it's everywhere narrow, but just, it just opens your mind to things that are around you that you didn't even really realize that you just, yeah. We're missing, but, um, thank you so, so much for talking to me and sharing your story. I know you have been blogging and kind of documenting things along the way. Um, so if somebody really resonated with what you talked about or had a question or wanted to read a little bit about your story and maybe look at some of your resources, where can they find your blog or where could they look for you, um, to maybe touch base. Yeah. Um, I love talking about adoption. Um, so that's like really one of my most favorite things. And so, yeah, I think my blog, which I haven't blogged in a while, but it's, um, gosh, what is it even called? Grafting, grafting the family tree. The family tree. Yeah. Yeah. Blog spot. Um, okay. and then, you know, Facebook or even email me, you know, all of, all of that's fine. And I love to just, you know, I'm actually going to zoom with a couple, um, next week who are thinking about adoption. And so, you know, I'd love okay. to be a resource as people are, you know, just, you know, Hey, let me pick your brain about this and get more information. Cause there's a lot of information, um, out there. Sure. So if our experience can help anybody, we'd love to be that resource. I love that. So grafting the family tree and then they could reach out to you on Facebook. Thank you sure. so much for sharing yeah. with me. And um, I'm Uncle Reggie and I love getting to watch you and Blaine and Bo and just excited about watching him grow up and um, can't wait to see y'all again. Yeah. Thanks for having right. me. Love you. I'll talk you. to you soon. All right. Bye. Love you. See you later. Bye. Bye.